excuse me, the rest of you can turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 to 2-4. I do just want to mention, especially if you're new here, uh, the, the round of speakers that you've had over the last several weeks. Uh, if you're brand new here, you're going like, uh, there's just like this chorus of people that keep coming up here talking. Uh, which, which one is the actual, uh, you know, pastor that we pay? And uh, so... <laughs> We're just like pretending, but the real pastor, no, just kidding. Um, actually, uh, Pastor Nick, I know I uh, got to see him last Wednesday. We hung out for a little while. They're doing great. Uh, I don't know if some of you know, yesterday, uh, Hannah, is it yesterday, I think, or day before, Hannah turned 13, so they now have two teenagers in their house. So, so I th- they're supposed to be getting rest and refreshment, but I know what it's like to have several teens in your house. And uh, so anyway, but, um, but no, they're doing great, just enjoying a time of rest, and I know they appreciate very much your guys' willingness to let them do that. And so continue to pray for them. Uh, they'll be back uh, September 4th, will be their first Sunday back. And uh, so yeah, we're, uh, we're looking forward to just how God's going to use this time in their life. And so thank you for enduring with us. And, uh, but it's been great to have uh, several, several people step up, and I just want to say to many of you, it's been awesome to have you step up and fill in roles and take on responsibilities. It's been great. Like things are happening, things are getting done. And so here's a goal. One little challenge I'll give to you as as a church while Nick is not hearing this is um, the challenge is, is that when they come back, you and I will keep doing the things that we're doing so then it will free them up to do other things, right? That's what, we're, that's what our hope is. So, so I thank you so many of you who stepped in and just are doing some great work. Um, uh, today we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians, and the, the whole theme, if you remember, I introduced, uh, I'm going to be, every time I speak through the summer, I'll be doing 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> and the whole theme is, in 2 Corinthians really is strength and weakness. It's uh, the, the text um, that we won't actually get to, but down in, in chapter 12 of Corinthians 12, it's, or 2 Corinthians, it says that, that uh, for when we are weak, he is strong, for his power is made perfect in our weakness and I'm, I, I have to say this crazy, I just got to get this out this morning, how God, uh, he does this to me a lot. And I think it's because I often need God to humble me. Uh, and I, I, I know we can laugh about that, but in reality, uh, it happens enough to me that I think I'm getting the picture, all right, uh, that God needs to humble me. And so, so let me just set this up this morning of the morning. So this happened on my other sermon I did here a while back on 2 Corinthians, but I got up this morning at 5.30 uh, because my week was fairly full, and I usually come in it early when I'm speaking, and I, I go over my text. I'm a verbal, I got to talk it out, you know, so I shut all the doors in here. So if you ever come to the church, a few of you have stepped in on me, like if you come to the church early in the morning on Sunday morning and you hear somebody just talking to themselves in here, just don't come in. It's really embarrassing. And, uh, but I just, I have to talk it out. It just helps me to process process it and understand how it's actually going to sound and uh, if, it's, if I'm actually uh, under, you know, communicating it well. And so this morning, that was my goal, is to come through this, talk it through two or three times, go back home, have a cup of coffee, take a shower, and be back here. And uh, so I put my stuff in my vehicle. My sermon is on something like this. I don't have paper. Uh, and I put my Bible and that in my department, my fire department vehicle, and I set my keys on the console and locked them in the car. <clears throat> And, uh, and so literally, uh, panic is rising inside. I'd love to say that I am sanctified and that God is working in me, but no, I was really panicked and because uh, I don't have extra sets of keys for my department vehicle. And so I'm like, 
running to my office only to find all the other keys to all the department vehicles and not an extra set because they're locked in some chief's office. And so I'm panicking more. And anyway, long story short, about 8.30 or so, a locksmith came out and opened up my vehicle and I retrieved my notes that I was supposed to go over this morning. I'm not saying that for you to give me grace on my delivery this morning, right? But I think it is ironic how God just works in our lives, right? We could look at that and go, it's just, just what happened, right? But the reality is, I don't know, this happens to me a fair amount, like especially when I'm preaching. And so I just think God has to like just totally, you know, make sure that I understand, honestly, and I mean this really, like understand that we, when we are weak, he is strong, that we have to get out of the way. God, God constantly has ways of reminding me and us of these things. And so if you have those same experiences or different ones, uh, yeah, you'll understand. So with that this morning, so strength and weakness in mind, what does faithful ministry look like is what we're going to wrestle with this morning. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to dive into uh, 2 Corinthians again. And, and wrestle a little bit with, uh, we've done, this will be the third message, but today we're going we're gonna to look, if you remember, just to give you a tiny little background, uh, Paul's, Corinthians is a church that he's had a pretty rough relationship with, and Paul's happened to sort of, in one sense it seems as though he's defending himself, but really he's simply sharing in, and it ends up being a defense, he's simply sharing, here's what real gospel faithful ministry looks like, and, uh, but it just so happens that it's that it's in response to a whole lot of criticism that he's getting from a church that he sacrificed much to see them planted and started. And so that's, uh, that's where Paul finds himself in 2 Corinthians. So uh, with that, let's stand this morning as we hear God's word read. And we stand at Timberline, uh, number one, just to do some calisthenics, get your blood going. And, but also because this is God's word. It comes to us with full authority. That this is not our words. We don't make these things up. This is what God communicates to us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so let us read it with that sense this morning. Here's his word to us. Uh, First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity, godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. For we do not write for we we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and acknowledge, and I hope you will fully acknowledge, just as you did partially acknowledge us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us and we will boast of you. Because of this, I am sure, or because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to want to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we, we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and he has anointed us, and who also put his seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God as witness against me, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. 
Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, then who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And as I wrote, and I, and I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who have, been, who have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for the blessing of your word today. May we learn and grow and mature, and may we truly um, embrace, may I today, even as we speak these words, as we hear these words, may we embrace the fact that when you, when we are weak, you are strong. That God, may we decrease and may you increase in this world, in the sight of others, Lord. May, may, may you work in such a way through your spirit that has sealed us. May it work in such a way as to proclaim your excellencies, as to show the world your greatness and not ours. And so, Lord, even today, may this be true, we pray. So build up your church through these words. Instruct us and equip us to do the good works that you prepared for us to do. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. My opening story might get funnier as you look at what the subject is going to be, but um, have you ever changed your mind? <laughs> I'm assuming that's a yes, right? You've changed your mind, like you've learned some stuff. You maybe thought one thing, and then all of a sudden... You change your mind, and now you think something different. Like that's so. That's a normal, common thing, right? Okay, so you change your mind. That's good. Um, have you ever said you were going to do something, and then circumstances changed, and you're not able to do what you said you were going to do? You ever had that happen? All right, so that's a common thing as well, right? That's a normal, daily thing. So you say, hey mom, I'm going to be home for Christmas this year, and then you lose your job, or your you know, car breaks down, or a kid gets sick, uh, something happens, and then I, I can't come. Or, or, or you'll say something like, you know, I'll be home for dinner at six, honey. And, uh, and then on the way out the door, the tire goes flat, you get stuck in traffic, that one really annoying person walks in right at 5.15 or 5.30, and there's no way you can get them out of your office. Whatever, whatever happens, right? And all of a sudden then, ah, you know, something changed, something's happened. Life happens, right? Life happens at times and it messes with our plans. Even the best plans that we have. This is a normal thing that happens in life. But let me take it a step further. What happens then when you said you were going to do something or you had intentions of doing something and you may have stated those intentions and then life happens and now your intentions or your plans get messed up and then someone comes along and assumes ill motives upon you for that. All of a sudden there's not like the cheery uh, room, right? Because you can feel how frustrating that is, right? When someone assumes and even questions your integrity or your motives as a result of the fact that you had to change your mind or change your plans because life happened. Things come up. Things happen. Now, I'm not talking about, some of you might be sitting there going, yeah, but there's some people that's like this every single day, right? I get it. But the reality is that's real life, right? 
And oftentimes, our motives can be called into question. Or, or in fact, in our country, in the climate that we are, we are in, all, that's all the time, right? Anytime someone changes their mind, we assume they must be waffling. There must be a problem. They must not be strong in their convictions, right? We assume all kinds of things. Or anytime plans change, we assume that, well, uh, that they're, they're not actually keeping to their commitments. But things happen. You see, our temptation... Our temptation, as well as the temptation in our text, is to assume that we understand people's motives, right? That you and I understand a person's heart, right? That's a dangerous business to get into, to assume that you know a person's motives. Even a person who may be doing something that you feel is absolutely outrageous, to assume that you know why or know their motives is, pretty, is a pretty serious thing, right? Only God knows the heart of a man or woman or child, right? Only God knows exactly. You and I are never accurate in our assumptions, right? Ever. We don't ever read the room correctly. We may get it somewhat right, but we never read it correctly. This is where Paul finds himself in our text today. So Paul had made some plans. In fact, he'd stated some intentions. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, if you turn back, at least from my Bible, one page back. If you turn back a page, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Apostle Paul is going to say some stuff to the Corinthians, right? And, uh, and in, in saying this, uh, this is part of the, the challenge that arises. So he says in chapter 16, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians, he says, I will, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intended to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I, perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. That's a great word right there, if the Lord permits, right? That's a, a beautiful word because we know stuff happens, right? So Paul makes that statement. He says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door is open for me for effective ministry uh, for me there, uh, and there are many adversaries. And so Paul is sharing here that he's going to go and he wants to, he intends to go visit them, not just for a little bit, he'd really like to visit them for quite some time. He doesn't want to just go in passing. He's going through Macedonia and he's going to come back from Macedonia. So this is, this is his intentions, uh, but then some stuff happened <laughs> and his plans changed. He changed his mind, actually, and there were good reasons for that. And so the Corinthian church, however, begins to call his character and his integrity and his motives into question because he was changing his mind. Apparently, they thought he was vacillating. He was, as Paul said in our text, he was saying yes and no. He's talking out of both sides of his mouth. He intended to do something. Now, I find it ironic, and this doesn't even matter, however, to the text, to the point of this message, but I do find it ironic in chapter 16 where he never said anything with a lot of definitiveness. Like He says, I intend to, I hope to, I want to, and then he said, if the Lord permits. Right. So he, Paul was pretty clear in his words that this is his, his desire, uh, but you know how that goes, right? You say, Mom, I intend to come home for Christmas, right? And then when you don't come, is Mom okay with that? Now, some of you are going to get in trouble here in the room. But uh, I know how that goes with family, right? You're like, oh, something happened, right? And you're like, oh, you're not coming home? You don't love the family anymore? You know, like, what? You know, or, or you, it's 6.15, you said you'd be home at 6? 
well, you don't, you don't value us? You don't care about our time and our lives? Like, you don't care about this hot meal made, right, or whatever? Like, right? Right? Okay, yeah. There's some chuckles in the room. All right. So, this is where Paul finds himself. So, let me just give us a couple things that I want you to see, and then we're going we're gonna to walk through this passage of Scripture. I think there's a lot of things that we can learn and grow from in this very practical text in, in reality. Um, so, here's a couple things. First, now I'm going to give you these up front, and then as we walk through the text, I want you to look for these things, okay? Just think about these types of things. So here's a couple things that we learn right up front. Uh, number one, we learn that we should never jump to conclusions, right? We should never assume, as I said a moment ago, that we know a person's heart. Uh, we, we, we don't know. Even, even people, right, who we disagree with, who might be absolutely 100% opposite of everything you stand for, don't assume that you know their reasons why. Don't assume that. You may not know, right? Uh, in fact, you don't know. And so, so be careful to make assumptions. Uh, we do that very quickly, right? We are very good at that. It's just human nature, but we have to fight against that. And I think, I think this, this text shows that. Secondly, um, one of the things we're going to see in this passage is an incredibly loving and gracious and pastoral heart out of Paul. Paul's going to instruct us, he's going to set an example for us in how to respond to moments where your integrity or your motives are being called into question, and you know that it's inaccurate, right? Paul's going to, he's going to show us, how, what do you do in those moments? What's, what's in your hands to do at all, right? What can you do, and then what do you have to leave up to God, right? And that's a lot, <laughs> And so, so he's going to instruct us, how do we answer these things? And I'm just guessing here that these are practical things that happen all the time in our lives. Big things and small things, but these things happen all the time. These are very real things to each of us in this room. This has happened to us. And so Paul's going to show us an incredibly gentle and loving, and at the end, just a pastoral heart uh, he's going to show us here. So I think he's setting an example for us. And third, and I think this might... This might be a little bit of an aside, but I, I don't think so. You could challenge me afterwards. Um, if you and I are looking for something intently, we will always find it. That's a danger. And I feel like it's probably a huge danger for us in our culture and the climate that we live in right now. If you are looking for something intently enough, you will 100% of the time you'll find it. Right? The culture calls it confirmation bias. Right? It's where I believe something, whether it's about you or you about me, or I believe something about things going on in the world, and therefore every single thing that I read, everything I think, everything I'm looking for confirms, because that's what I want it to do, it confirms my bias. My bias has already been determined, and now I'm going to interpret everything in light of that, right? And this is human nature, right? Like, am I, am I crazy, or has this, this happened to you? Yes, it does. Admit it. Let's all stand up and confess here for a moment. Right? I don't think you guys are truly believing me here, but I'm guessing every one of us are guilty of such things, right? We are absolutely, we are guilty of that, right? We do it all the time. And so, and so it's, a, it's a dangerous thing, but it's, it's human nature. It's part of the battle that we have. If we assume that someone is guilty, then we will interpret everything towards their guilt, right? Because that's the outcome we've already determined in our minds. It is very difficult for us to be truly objective about things, and so we'll interpret things. In Paul's case, this is what's going on with the Corinthians, I think. The Corinthians 
have begun to call a lot of things in Paul's life into question. We saw last, last time we looked at Corinthians, they called him into question because he suffered too much, right? And they, they, were, they were saying, well, he doesn't, he's, they're going to call him into question because he doesn't speak well enough. He doesn't speak like these other traveling people that come through. And they're, they're going to they're question all kinds of stuff. But once you start down that road, right, of looking at somebody's life or some, someone's, and then you interpret everything about them in a negative light, I think there's a little bit of that happening with Paul. I, like they just they're just nailing this guy and he's the guy who literally about lost his life and sacrificed his life so that these people could even come to Jesus in the first place right and so you can see how far we've come come from that moment where Paul did this incredible thing of sharing the gospel and suffering greatly for it, and now this, this church has sprung up in Corinth to now that same group of people are looking at every action and everything of Paul and calling his character into question, right? And Paul himself is a bit shocked by this group of people, and he has an incredible reason to be. Uh, and we, we too have to be careful uh, in how we uh, handle these things as well. So let me just, let me just begin then. And I didn't get to do this last time, so I'm going to pop up on the screen this next slide uh, because this, this gives you an idea of Paul's relationship with Corinth, and this will help us as we walk through um, this, passage, uh, this, this passage of Scripture this morning. And so, so in, our, in our text, uh, it's basically Paul's rocky relationship, and I think it's in your bulletin as well. And uh, we see that he, here's kind of the way that goes. So when you, when you read a, t- a, a book like this or a letter like this, oftentimes we don't understand where it fits in the story or the life of the characters in the Bible, right? Or we don't know the order of things or we don't know what we don't know, too. There's a lot of things we don't know uh, that just don't exist, <laughs> right? And that's true with Corinthians probably more than any other. And so, so Paul, in Acts chapter 18, we started way back. In Acts chapter 18, we had Paul's first visit uh, on his second missionary journey, so he's taken a couple circles. If you go to the back of your Bibles and get to the map, you know, you'll see Paul's missionary journeys. On his second missionary journey, he goes to Corinth in Acts 18, and he preaches the gospel, and, and, things, things are, and, and the church springs up, right? So that's his first visit. Well, then in the middle of that visit, um, and 1 Corinthians, some bad news comes to him uh, that things are not going well in Corinth. He spends two years in Ephesus, uh, and and then he, he responds uh, to the bad news that he gets from his companions with a couple letters. Uh, the first letter we don't have. And we're assuming this from what the text says, and you can look up 1 Corinthians 5, 9, but it, but it assumes that the Corinthians had written to him some stuff, and he responds to that in, in, a, in a written letter that we don't have that letter, right? Otherwise, we'd have four Corinthian letters, because there's apparently about four letters that he possibly wrote to them, four correspondences, but we have two major ones. And the second letter then, in response to their response, apparently he writes 1 Corinthians. And that's where he's pretty tough on them. Uh, he, he confronts them. The first chapters of 1 Corinthians, you'll see him challenge the church because there's sin going on in the church that's outrageous, that's calling the, 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 the character of, of the gospel, like the nature of the gospel, their outreach, their, their integrity truly into question. So Paul's challenging on them. And then Paul hears some really bad news again from Timothy, apparently, and he has another visit to them that doesn't go well. Remember Paul said, if you don't take care of things, I'm going to either come in peace or I'm going to come with a whip. And in that day, what that meant is I'm going to come as the, uh, and, and do that dad discipline thing, or I can come and we can have a potluck and have some celebration of what God's doing, but we have to deal with this issue because it's causing uh, the name of Christ 
you know, to be marred, and we're not going to do that. And so, so he has this really tough visit, and then he goes back to Ephesus, and he writes another severe letter, apparently, in chapter 2, verse 3 of, of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 7, 8 through 12, it talks about this. He wrote a severe letter that was really a scathing moment where he challenged them big time. And then he writes letter D in response to their response to that. You got all that? There it is. That's why I put it in your bulletin. You could just have that, right? <laughs> that's, that's the piecing together, the piecing together. And 2 Corinthians was written to them in response to the fact that they actually have done some things that were good. They've actually, he's actually doing a lot of affirmation to them, uh, but then they're still picking away at him a bit here, right? And so he's writing in response to that. And he anticipates a visit C. All right, so he's visited A, he's visit B, didn't go so well. He anticipated a visit C, which hasn't happened at this moment. And so he writes this letter in anticipation of that. Um, and that's where we find ourselves this morning. So, all that makes sense. Clear as mud, right? Gotcha. Now, let's get to the text. All right, First Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians uh, chapter, chapter 1, verse 12. So the first thing Paul does, and I think this is where we begin to learn... Uh, Paul, in one sense, you could say he's not so much defending himself as he's just simply using this occasion of their critique to explain what true faithful gospel ministry looks like, right? Uh, because ultimately, uh, he knows that our justification is ultimately in God's hands. God is the one who justifies us through his son Jesus, right? He's the one who ultimately determines whether we are in right standing or not, not Human, not human beings. And so, and so Paul knows this, but Paul's, Paul's going to explain um, his ministry here. He's going he's to sort of, in a sense, answer their charges, but he'll do it by simply explaining what's actually going on in his ministry. And so he does this in three categories. So the first one in verses 12 through 14, he explains the nature of his conduct. Um, and and he, he basically, he's going to explain his actions. And so he says in verse 12, he says, for our boast is this, it's the testimony of our conscience. I love that. So Paul immediately appeals to his own conscience, right? And I think that's something important for every one of us to take note of. The question is not so much what people say about us, even though you should not dismiss that, especially from a genuine Christian who may be critiquing you in a, in a correct way, right? You may be out of line, right? There may be some accurate things that you need to correct in your life. But Paul is saying, though, the ultimate appeal he's saying is, is that I'm appealing first, our testimony is this, that our conscience is clear, right? Is your conscience today clear? Can you look yourself in the mirror, right? Have you conducted yourself in such a way that your conscience is clear? It's important to do ministry, to live life with a clear conscience. And so Paul, I love the way he says, he says our boast is simply our conscience, right? I know, I know exactly what my motives are. Well, you know, to a degree, even our own motives can be like, right? But I know why I did X, Y, and Z this morning, right? You're the one who knows why you did whatever you did last week. You know these things, right? And someone may be criticizing something you did, assuming some ill motive, but you're the one before God that has to know what the, what the accurate truth is. Is your conscience clear before God? And when it's not, do not dismiss that. You should take that very serious, right? 
that, that the person who continually and consistently violates their own conscience will eventually reject the things that they say they love. Right? It's a dangerous thing to, to violate your own conscience, to continually go against what you know to be right and true. Right? And so Paul appeals, his first things, he appeals to their conscience. He says, and then he describes it, that he knows this to be true about him and his companions. He says that we behaved in the world with simplicity. I love this. Simplicity, just simple. Um, he doesn't necessarily give us a definition of what these things mean in the context of what he's been doing, but he just states it with simplicity and with godly sincerity. So he says we weren't doing anything flippantly. We were sincerely doing the ministry that we were doing out of a sincere motive, a sincere heart. And he says, not by earthly wisdom. In other words, we weren't just, we weren't just operating according to the same way that the world operates. He's, in fact, the world could simply say, I don't care what I said. I'll do whatever I want. I don't care if I made a commitment to you. The heck with you. Right? I live for me. Right? Paul's saying, we didn't have that kind of reasoning. We, we had a godly wisdom we were not operating according to earthly wisdom. And then he says, but by the grace of God. And he says, supremely so towards you. And I do want to say, Paul went out of his way because of the rocky nature of their relationship. He went out of his way to, to show grace to them and to be very careful of what he did with them, that he did differently with other churches, including not accepting payment from them for the ministry that he did for them. And he did that for a reason. You remember in the opening thing, I won't go into that, but he was very careful about showing them incredible grace and being really gracious to them. So he's saying, here we're, our, in a sense, here's the, the nature of our conduct. We, our conscience is clear, and we, we did it with simplicity, sincerity, with godly wisdom, not earthly wisdom, and with grace. In other words, Paul says, we did it, we hope the best for you. We did it to, in, in our hope for you, you Corinthians. Secondly, he explains the consistency of his conduct uh, in, in this text. Um, he says, uh, actually, let me maybe back up for a moment. I forgot to uh, finish that. He says, for we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and already acknowledged. I love that. He's like, hey, we've already had a ton of dialogue, and we're not actually writing anything that you don't already know. We've either talked about it or we've written about it already. And he says, that you, you've already even acknowledged it. And he says, I want you to fully acknowledge it, right? It's one thing to go, hey, thanks for that. But do they really embrace the things that he's telling them, right? And so they hadn't fully acknowledged it. And so he says, just as you did partially acknowledge us, he says, so that on the day of the Lord Jesus, I love this, his hope for them. Listen to the gracious hope that he has for them, that one day we will boast, uh, or you, you will boast of us, that is, in Christ, right? You will boast of us, and we will be able to boast of you. That's the hope, right? I love that. These people have not been very nice to him, but he hopes the best for him. He graciously is saying, my hope is one day on the day of the Lord, you know, you will boast about what God has done through our lives, and we're going to boast about what God's done through your lives. Like, this is going to be a beautiful glory to God fest, right? And on, uh, towards each other. And so that's his, that's his hope. Secondly, though, he explains the consistency of his conduct. And I love this, uh, this explanation. Um, and so he's, he says, so because I'm sure of this, in other words, my conscience is clear. Look at verse 13, or 15 there. Because my conscience is clear, I'm sure of what I just said in these three verses. Because he's sure of that, he, he goes, then he says, I, I wanted to come to you first. So he's going to explain his actions. I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. 
And all he means by that is he wanted to bless them, right? People interpret all things, all kinds of stuff into that. Literally, Paul's just saying, I, he does this to the Thessalonians too, and he actually uh, came to them so that they would have a second like, experience of, of God's grace by simply blessing them, by teaching them, by encouraging them. Paul says, this is, I wanted to come to you so that you would have this incredible experience of grace. And he says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. What's that about? Uh, so the Apostle Paul if you read the book of Acts, you'll find out in Paul's journeys, missionary journeys, uh, a good chunk of everything written about Paul is all about this offering that he's running around to the churches to take. You see, the, the church in Judea, in Jerusalem, the brothers there and sisters who are Jewish Christians there, the Jewish church there, is under serious persecution. And they are under persecution so much that they cannot buy or sell or work they are, they, are, uh, they are in poverty because the, the, the culture around them, the Jews, the, the Jewish people, have made it so hard for these Jewish Christians to live. They've taken away their livelihood. They've taken away their ability to work. They've, they've basically made them outcasts in their own communities. And so they are suffering from extreme poverty and difficulty. And so here's a beautiful picture here. So Paul is going around, talk about how, how incredible this is. Paul's going around the countryside to all of these Gentile churches. Talk about, talk about how the gospel transforms. Like Gentiles and Jews who didn't even walk through each other's towns and cities prior to this moment. Paul's going around to these Gentile, these Greek churches, and he's taking up an offering and getting them to be generous to take care of these Jewish brothers and sisters who are suffering in Judea, in Jerusalem, Right? And he spends a ton of time doing it. And he's, he's, that's why he's partly going through Corinth as well. He wants them to, this Corinth is like the wealthy church. Macedonia is the dirt poor church. And he wants them all to contribute to this offering that he's then going to deliver by his own hands to Jerusalem. And so that's what he's referring to here. He says, I want to I come visit you on the way to Macedonia. I'm way back from Macedonia. I want you to send us on our way even. I want you to be the sending people that would send us back there to bless our brothers and sisters. And then he asked the question in verse 17, so was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Was I, when I said this, was I somehow, in other words, was I wishy-washy? Was I lying to you in essence? When I said that's what I wanted to do, what, was I somehow out of line because he didn't actually get to do it that way? And there's a reason for that we'll get to at the end here. And he says, when I wanted to do this, he says, do I, do I make plans according to the flesh? Again, here he's appealing to how he makes plans. He's going he's gonna to give a consistency of how he makes plans. He says, ready to say yes and no at the same time. In other words, am I talking out of both sides of my mouth? Am I wishy-washy? Am I waffling? Am I, am I actually making these plans with no intention of actually fulfilling them? Right? Is that the way that I make plans according to the flesh? In other words, according to the world. And then he gives his his explanation. He says, as surely as God is faithful, which is pretty sure, <laughs> right? Just, just see if you're awake. As surely as God is faithful, verse 18, our word to you has not been yes and no. So I love Paul's response here. Paul's, Paul's placing himself, and ironically, the Corinthians as well. He's talking about his ministry, but he's also affirming and building up theirs. And he's saying that as a minister of the gospel, 
the, the, our lives and our decisions, if they're not earthly wisdom and earthly decisions and making plans according to the flesh, that means they are rooted in the very character of God. We're operating the very, in a, such a way that it actually upholds the nature and character of God. So he says, as sure as God is faithful, this is not how we make decisions. We don't say yes and no. We don't vacillate. Um, and then he sa- goes on to say, for the Son of God... Now, you, might, you and I might think right here at this moment, like, aren't you getting a little too spiritual, Paul? We're just simply talking about the fact that you were going come to come see us and you didn't. Isn't that all we're talking about here? Right? Aren't you taking it just a little far, Paul? Like, which, I, you know, we could simply say that, except that they're criticizing his integrity and the motives of his ministry and heart as a result of it. But it does on the surface seem like, aren't we just sort of having a little disagreement about what you intended to do and what you didn't intend to do and whether or not you make plans well or not. Maybe you're not very organized and coordinated or, or you know, administrative. Uh, I don't know. Uh, doesn't it seem like at some level it's just that? But Paul, Paul doesn't see any part of his life that way, apparently. Right? He sees every decision, every piece of his life as being rooted in gospel ministry, in the faithfulness of God. Right? Because, and that's true for us here today as well. And that's true also for the Corinthians. He's saying it's, it's, it's my, my decision making, my thought process is rooted in the very faithfulness of God. And it's rooted in the gospel of God. He's saying, he says, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanius, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no. Right? So the very gospel that we proclaim to you, it wasn't somehow wishy-washy or yes or no or up or down. He says, he says no, for, um, but in him, in Christ, it is always yes. Meaning it's always affirmed. It is always in there. He says for all, and, and he takes it even another depth. It's like he just keeps digging it down a little further, down clear to the roots. He says for all the promises of God find their yes in him. In Jesus. Now that statement is somewhat a really deep statement that has huge theological implications that Paul has situated in the middle of a conversation and a conflict over whether or not he said he was going to do something and he didn't do it. Right? Isn't that crazy? Like this is a very simple, seemingly simple thing, but Paul has just taken it to depth con five. And said, no, it's not that simple. It's actually that everything that we do as Christians need to be rooted in the very nature and character of God in the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of who he is. And so he says this statement that could seriously be a sermon all in and of itself, where, where all of the promises of God, every promise of God, finds their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. This is, this is Luke chapter 24. Right, the Emmaus Road conversation, where where they're having a conversation after Jesus is resurrected, and he's walking with the disciples. You remember this, and and they're they're kind of asking all these questions, and Jesus takes this moment where he explains to them. It goes all the way, all the way back in the Old Testament from Moses all the way up into the present moment and shows how every single solitary promise, every, prof, every prophetic word, every single promise and prophecy all find their fulfillment ultimately in Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, that's how I make decisions, like that. That's how we conduct faithful ministry. We root and situate ourselves in the very character, in the very heart of God himself. And we make decisions like that. 
We, we don't vacillate, but we also know that chaos happens. In fact, what's ironic about the, the Emmaus Road, right? Same situation. Once it's like life happened, right? Here's these disciples. They're depressed on the Emmaus Road. Why? Because nothing worked out according to their plan, right? In Luke 24. They're totally depressed. Our, our leader, Jesus, he died. You know, they're telling Jesus this. You know, they're so depressed they can't pay attention to what's going on, honestly, right? And then Jesus has to go, hey, guys. Is, didn't we talk about this? Isn't this what the whole, you know, history has been about? Me, right? Um, and, and so Paul is rooting and giving a, he's not in a sense even giving a defense. He's just saying, hey, here's how we make decisions. It's in line with the very faithfulness of God. And it is yes and amen. It's not yes and no. God doesn't give us yes and no, so we don't give you yes and no. It's yes and amen. It is rooted in Christ himself. Um, He says, it is God who establishes us with you. This is what I love about this. Paul is not doing this us versus them. Paul is saying, it is God who has established us with you together, we, the body of Christ, even though they're beating him up a little bit, he's saying he's established us together in Christ, right? With us in Christ, And has anointed us. He has poured out his blessing and his spirit. He has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit. Go back to Ephesians and look at that. He's given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And I love, you notice it's the hour, it's us. He's talking about who we are in Christ. We together. You know, the, 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 very, the very maturity, I guess, of Paul here just stuns me. I wish I were there, right? Don't you? Like, to be there, to look at your enemies, to the very people who are criticizing you and tearing you down, but who, whom you know that they are in Christ with you, and to be able to talk about them with such grace, right? To be able to talk to them with this sense of like, hey, this, we're, we're not on different teams here, Right? We're on the same team. We have the same Jesus. We're, we're, we are rooted in Christ, and therefore, whatever difficulties we have, it, we're going to have to also talk it out in, in Christ, right? It's not, it's not some thing off to the side. This is, this is the very nature of how we interact and, and uh, talk with each other and work each other, our challenges out. Here's how we make decisions. Here's how we deal with conflict. And then I love the last uh, point here. Um, Basically, Paul is saying that he's not fickle, uh, his integrity is founded in Christ, and, and uh, that they too are established in Christ. But he says here in the last thing, he explains his motives. So he finally gets to his motives. I think all of this is probably doing that. But Paul kind of talks about his motives. He says here, let me, let me just open up my heart for just a moment. and Let me let you in on what I know. Now again, Paul's conscience in this is clear. And I do want us to realize, like, what Paul cannot control is whether they're going to believe him or not. That's not up to Paul, and it's not up to you. You can explain yourself. You can give an explanation of why you did what you did, and the very people who are criticizing you may never actually believe a word you say. And they may say, forget it. You're a jerk. You're vacillating, right? Um, it's at that moment that we find out just how mature we are. Right? Because I don't know about you, but at that moment, then I want to fight harder. Paul doesn't do that. Paul doesn't do that. He simply shares his heart, and he moves on. 
Here's where I'm at. Listen to his heart. This is an incredibly, I think, a pastoral moment, a shepherd's heart for his people of how much he truly loves them. And here's why he's going to say, he says, but I call God to witness against me. Again, this is simply another way of saying my conscience is clear. That's all he's saying. It's just a maybe more forceful or powerful way of saying I call God as witness against me. Here's why. He says, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. If you go back to your outline in the beginning and you look at the, they had some pretty tense conversations. They had some pretty tough things. And Paul wasn't sure that it would be actually helpful to them and build them up if he visited them at that time again. Right? And so Paul, out of his love for them, out of his desire to spare them yet another difficult moment, Paul did not come. That's why he did it. Isn't that crazy? Like sometimes, I think sometimes we would think that it would be wise of Paul to press in. Maybe they're just not getting it. He needs to go there and show up again in person and to walk them through this thing one more time. Like, don't you understand? I, I had this uh, view in ministry when I planted a church years ago. I had this view. We, we had a major conflict come up in our church about five, six, seven years in. And uh, it threatened literally to undo the whole thing. Right? And, and I had this really naive. I grew up on the farm in Kansas. Right? And we have a thing where you just work stuff out with neighbors. And I had this really incredible belief that, hey, I'm a really nice guy. Who could be mad at me for very long? Right? I was really naive, just like that. Like, you know, if we just sit down, we have a conversation, right? And you hug, we cry, we pray, we walk away, all is well. It's all done. Right? It's good. So I did all that. I went around to house after house after house. I said, hey, let me just explain what's going on. Let me just, let me just help you understand, and you help me, and we'll just talk this out. And you know what? Things just got worse. People got madder, Right? Because uh, it turns out it doesn't matter how nice you are, right? right? Sin is sin, right? In all of our hearts, not just them. It was, it was me, too, right? And, and so, and so it, it doesn't, you, you, can, you can think anyway that you can do the best thing you can, but the, the results or the hearts of other people are outside of your purview. It's outside of your control. The question you and I have to deal with is what Paul's doing. Is, is my conscience clear before God? That's, that's where we have to land, and we have to trust God with that. And so Paul says, I did not want to come to you because I didn't want to give you, a, I didn't want to have another painful visit. I didn't want this to go bad. I did it for your sake. Not that we lord it over your faith. Now, I want you just to, be, I want you just to understand here. If you were mad at somebody, and they said to you, and they're, you're, they're, or they're mad at you, I should say, and they say to you, like, uh, why, didn't you why didn't you come and talk to me? And you say, well, I just knew that our tensions are pretty high, and I thought, you know, I just didn't know if it was going to be very productive right now, and so I thought we should probably not get together and talk right now. And usually that person says something like, oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. I'm, I'm glad you're considerate that way. No, that never happens, right? <laughs> right? right? <laughs> like, never <laughs> happens. I, I don't know, maybe in your life. It doesn't typically happen that way, right? So understand that when we're reading this. This wasn't perfect, and I don't know that we have a sense in which everything became hunky-dory when this all finished, right? Um, but this is what Paul's simply doing. is just saying, hey, here, here's my motives. Here's my heart. Not that we, and, and I love this. He says, not that we lord it over your faith. Paul's not coming in with this authority. He, he has authority, but he's not someone coming over here going, I lord it over you. We're just coming in. We're going we're gonna to 
you know, be, be rough and tough. He says, uh, but, but I love this. He says, but we work with you for your joy. I love that. It's not lording it over. It's not, it's not somehow like, like just simply being authoritative. It's like the, the boss that simply says, well, I'm the boss, and so you're going to do whatever the heck I tell you to do, right? And we know that's the way the world works, right? Paul's not saying that. He's saying we actually come in, even when we have to deal with conflict, when we have to confront each other, we're coming in to work with one another for our joy. That's the way the gospel looks. That's the way the church looks. We're working with each other side by side, even in our disagreements, even in our strife and struggle. He's saying this is, this is what it looks like. We, we work with each other for each other's joy. And, and I love this. He says, for you, again, another positive. He says, for you, stand firm in your faith. An affirmation of them. You stand firm in your faith. It's an affirmation as well as an exhortation. And then he says in verse 2, or chapter 2, he says, For I made up my mind, again, sharing his heart, not to make another painful visit to you. I love this explanation. He says, For if I cause you pain, then who is there to make me glad? It's a very practical reality, right? Like if I made all of you mad with me this morning, right? If I just ticked all of you off right now, then who's going to be there to comfort me when, when I lock my keys in the car again? Right? Right? I mean, that's literally Paul's, it's a, it's, a, it's a very practical reality, right? He's just going, look, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want this to go bad again because if it does, then, then who's going to be there to make me glad? Who's going to be there to comfort me? Who's going to be, how are we going to boast about each other in the end of the time, right? How are we going to do that if we just, if I just make you more mad? I'm not, I'm not going to do that, Paul's saying. He says, who is there to make me glad uh, but the one whom I've pained? Uh, he says, I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those, of, those who should have made me rejoice. Now notice that. It's a little bit of a rebuke there. He says, I don't want to come to you because he's also saying not only he doesn't want to cause them pain, I don't want re- to receive any more pain from people who should have helped me rejoice but haven't. He says, for I felt sure of you, again, Here's a positive affirmation. I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. There's a gracious pastoral heart. He says, for I wrote to you, again, bearing his soul here, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know of the abundant love that I have for you. Paul's ending it was simply going, look, my motivation was, was my, my love for you as brothers and sisters in Christ. Wanting to see you progress and grow in your faith. That's what I wanted to see. And, and if something stands in the way of that, even Paul coming to visit them, if something was going to disrupt that, then Paul's like, I'm not, I shouldn't come. My plans have changed. I won't, I won't make another visit that's going to cause more harm than good. And that is called wisdom. Right? That's wisdom. Uh, and just because you do something wise doesn't mean anyone will understand or believe it, right? And in one sense, Paul just sort of leaves it right there. That's it. He doesn't say, now, if you don't believe that, then you are terrible people. Shame on you. Like, he doesn't go into that. He just leaves it there. Here's, here's what I know to be true before God. My conscience is clear, and here's, here's my conduct, 
Here's, here's my uh, consistency of my conduct. Here's the nature of my conduct, the consistency of my, consistency of my conduct, and here's the motives as I see them before God. I love you, I care for you, and I want the best for you. May God bless you in a sense, right? That's what he's saying to them. Let me just end with this as we think about this and process in our own lives. Uh, I think there's much to gain, but let me just, let me just throw back. Um, a, a life that is rooted as Paul, as our lives are in the gospel, a um, couple questions for you to consider this morning. Do you assume the best, do you assume the best of others? Or do you always assume the worst? Right? Do you assume the best? Uh, do you give people the same benefit of the doubt that you want? Right? We, it's easy to judge somebody else's motives, but we never like it when it comes this way. Right? I, I want the benefit of the doubt, but that guy needs to have it coming to him. Right? <laughs> right? But when it comes my way, please be gracious. Right? That's the way we are. Do we give people the same benefit of the doubt that we would want? Are we quick to forgive? Are we quick to forgive? Man, when you think of the gospel that Paul's just talked about, how can we not be quick to forgive? How can we not be gracious? Um, are we always looking for ways to trap people in their words? In other words, an argumentative spirit. Going, oh, you're one of those. That was the trigger word right there. <laughs> right? Don't do that. You don't know why they said that. They may not even know why. Um, do we give people the benefit of the doubt? Um, all of that to say, is the gospel more than simply a set of precepts out here somewhere? Is it something that truly is here and actually rules and guides everything that we do? Is it in us? Is it the, is it the guide in our life? Has it transformed every part of us, including our motives and our heart and our passions, including, like Paul, even how we work out when people are pressing against him, whom he loves? Amen? So let us grow um, in those things. Let us in that way, in fact, represent the reality of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for your mercy to us. Um, Lord, you're the one who guides uh, all of these things, I pray, in us. Lord, we, even as Paul talked about the fact that we, it is, that we are all rooted uh, together in Christ, and it's from that place of being justified by faith, being sanctified and continually sanctified by the power and presence of your Spirit in us. It's, it's from the very character and nature of you, Father, your faithfulness to do everything that you said you would do. Lord, it's from your very nature and your very character that we make decisions, that we interact with each other, that we love one another, that we, that we even work out our differences with each other. And so, Lord, um, would you encourage your church today? May we be mindful of these things uh, and mindful of the gospel as we live and uh, go from here today. And we thank you now, even for communion. Uh, what a reminder, just to close off today, a reminder of your incredible mercy towards us. And Lord, let us, even as we take communion today, may we be wowed by your grace, but may it transform us that we would go out and we would be the most gracious people who live on this earth. May we be forgiving and loving and caring. And may, your, may our neighbors and our friends and our family, may they see it in us in everything we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.